all fear is based on a lie. What I mean by that is the fear that you're carrying, it might have its basis in reality. It usually has its basis in reality. Sometimes there's these irrational fears or, or whatever that don't really have their basis in anything. But oftentimes, way more often than not, the fear that you're carrying has its basis in reality. Meaning that, you know, you're afraid to start that business because you've tried it and failed before. Or because you've never done it before. You're afraid to get on that plane because you've seen that planes have crashed in the past. Or, you know, whatever it might be. There's usually some kind of a rational, logical, reasonable many times basis for that fear. And that's why I think we allow ourselves to get comfortable with fear. But the thing is that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now, if you're dealing with, if you're afraid of a spider or you're afraid of flying or something like that, I don't think that you're sinning. The, the, the problem is when we begin to partner with that fear, uh, then that's when it can begin to have some kind of a control or manipulative spirit over us. And that's when we get into trouble. And I don't think that God wants anything to be able to control his sons and his daughters. He wants us absolutely free. But I believe that all fear is based uh, on it, at its foundational level. It's based on a lie because even if it's based some kind of a rational <clears throat> reality, there's some kind of a rational, reasonable basis for that fear. People have tried that before and failed. I've tried that before and failed. I have people close to me that have tried that before and failed. And so I have reasons to believe that I might not succeed. And so I'm afraid to get started. And because I'm afraid, I stay stagnant and I don't go forward. There's reasonable basis for those concerns, but it's still based on a lie because it's factoring out something very, very important called the grace of God. See, anything in your life, anytime you're operating from a place that is devoid of or, or lacking in the understanding of the grace of God, the abundance of God, the lordship of Jesus, then you are under the influence of a lie and therefore fear is going to be the result. And I believe at the root of all of it is something called lack or probably better stated the perception of lack. I want to welcome you guys to this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm going to be talking today on the perception of lack and the mindset of lack and exchanging a mindset or a mentality of lack for a lifestyle of abundance because God has called us into an abundant life. And, and, and so I want to talk about that in this episode. I'm taking a break from the teaching series that I've been doing on the uh, New Covenant, and I'm going to come back to that very, very soon. But this was just something that was kind of sparked by something we talked about in church, and, and it's just kind of been uh, burning in, in my heart. And so I just wanted to share this with you guys today in this week's episode. I pray that this uh, episode blesses you, maybe challenges you, encourages you, makes you think. I really hope that it encourages you today. And uh, if you get anything out of it, if you'd consider subscribing on one of the podcast platforms or leaving a comment or a review, again, on one of the podcast platforms or on the Facebook page, that would be super, super helpful. And uh, I would appreciate that very much. So for example, so like if you're afraid to step out in faith on some kind of a business venture, the reality is you're not afraid to start a business. There's nothing scary about starting a business. What you're afraid of is what if that business fails? What if it doesn't work out? You're actually afraid of the consequences related to the what if this doesn't go the way that I hope it goes or the way that God showed me that it would go, right? And so fear is kind of based in, you know, if you've ever seen the movie After Earth um, with, uh, with Will Smith, there's this line in the movie that just impacted me so profoundly the first time that I saw it. And it's a beautiful uh, kind of definition that he gives his son about fear. And the idea is, if you've never seen the movie, a spoiler alert, but there's like these monsters, serious spoiler if you haven't seen the movie, uh, there's these kind of like monster alien type things that have taken over the planet and they, they basically thrive on fear. And people didn't realize that they were thriving on fear because they're terrifying creatures. So here's the thing. They would attack 
and people would be instantly terrified and these things would hunt them down and rip them to shreds. But Will Smith, his character in the movie, he gets to this point where he was so sure that he was going to (laughs) die that he actually kind of faded out of consciousness in a sense. And he, he was devoid of fear. For a moment, he had no fear. And in that moment of no fear, he realized that he became invisible to the enemy creature, alien, whatever it was that was hunting him down. There's a really cool lesson in that. You know, um, I think that we give place to the devil when we buy into the lie that he's beaten us or when we buy into the lie that we're not good enough or we buy into the lie that God's not going to get us through the storm that we're in or whatever it might be. And all of that is an operation of fear. It's based on a lie and it's an operation of fear. But you really become impervious to the devil's schemes and attacks. It doesn't mean that he can't attack you, but you really become impervious to, in your mind and in your heart, you, you, you become like, like uh, Teflon, so to speak, where like nothing sticks to you. The attacks that he's trying to throw at you, they don't stick to you when you refuse to fall into a spirit of fear. And so here's the thing. I believe that that fear that you and I face in our lives is always rooted in a perception of lack, in this perception that something is not in the right place, that something is missing, or that something could be missing, or something might be missing, right? And so I want to talk about this today because I want to deal with this mentality of lack because it is, it is excuse me, exactly opposite of a kingdom mindset. A kingdom mindset, a kingdom mentality, a Christ consciousness does not focus on the things that we do not have. There are so many things in this world and happening around you right now that are, that have their basis, they have their root, they have their foundation in things that do not exist. And the reality is, is that you and I, that our life in Christ is based on what Jesus has done for us. It's based on who God is. You are alive in Christ Jesus. And so for you and I, being alive in Christ Jesus, being set free from the law of sin and death, being completely set free from the curse of the law and all of the bondage that goes along with that and all of the limitations that go along with that, where we are so free to live our lives for the Lord, to fall in love with Jesus, to pursue the plan and the calling that he has for our lives without limitations and restrictions. I get it. There are limitations and restrictions in terms of our our, our physical human condition and in terms of the world that we live in. But here's the thing is you and I, we do not have to operate from the economy of earth. You and I get to operate from the economy of heaven because that is our home. That's where we're from. That's who we are. Jesus says in John chapter 17 that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have been born again. That literally means, that statement in John chapter 3, to be born again, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, literally means, it means to be born from above. How cool is that? You have been born from above, meaning that you are not, how do I say this? You are not limited to the restrictions of this present age and this present world system. You're not. Because you are a child of the Most High God. You've been adopted as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Your life has been redeemed. And God has actually called you and I to think the way that he thinks. And here's how the mind of Christ operates. The renewed mind from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The, 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 the mind of Christ operates from heaven toward earth, not the other way around. See, so often, I think the best that we do as Christians is that we, we try to think of our problems from an earthly perspective toward heaven. In other words, man, I have this problem, and that's better than an earthly perspective to an earthly perspective where it's like, oh, man, I have this problem. There's nothing I can do about it because I don't have the resources. No, but but sometimes I, I think the, 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 the biggest we allow ourselves to, to dream and venture off in faith is this mindset of, 
oh man, I have this problem here on the earth. Let me see what God can do about it. Or, 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 you know, I'll bring it to God and I'll pray to God and I'll talk to God about fixing the problem that I have. And that's a level of faith for sure. But I believe God has called us to go a step above that where we don't just think about uh, our problems from earth toward heaven, but we actually think about our, our problems and the challenges and the issues and everything that we face in life from heaven to earth, meaning from a heavenly perspective, where in he- heavenly perspective is there is no lack. We only ever always operate from a place of abundance. And I believe that that's what we see in the life of Jesus, that Jesus encountered situations that were like outside of the realm of possibility. Like, okay, we, we need money. It's not a big deal. I'm going to go, go catch that fish. And we catch the fish and the money that we need is in the fish's mouth. Because we're not limiting ourselves to the routines and the processes of this world. But we're learning to live from a mindset of abundance. And when we live that way, it is the exact opposite of living from a place of lack. Now, look, I'm not even talking about finances. That's part of it. Absolutely, for sure. That's part of it. But I'm really talking about the mindset of lack. The mindset of, of, of that, 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 you know, we talk about an orphan mindset or an orphan mentality. Jesus said at the end of John chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And there's this thing within the hearts and the minds of people today all across this world, Christian and non-Christian, where there's this orphan mindedness, this, this feeling of lostness, this feeling of loneliness, this feeling of of, you know, I've got to defend myself. I've got to look out for myself. You know, an in, in orphan um, mindset is, is one of self-preservation. It's one of survival. God has called you to much more than just survival. He's called you to much more than self-preservation. He's called you to a lifestyle of abundance where you see things from his perspective. You see things from his perspective to the point that the problems and the challenges of this world, not that they don't affect you, not that they don't hurt you, not that they whatever, but that they don't have that same influence on you that they used to have because you're not operating from that place of lack. You're not operating from that place of I'm missing something, but you're operating from a place of abundance. And so let me kind of illustrate to you how the, the mindset of this works. And I'm going to go to a very familiar place, very old place, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And now, of course, Genesis chapter 3 uh, comes right after uh, Genesis chapter 2, which is where we see God uh, giving giving Adam the instruction of what to do with the garden. And so in Genesis chapters one, chapter 1, we have this creation account where God creates the, the, the heavens and the earth and all of it. And finally, on the sixth day, he creates man. He creates man, verse 26, in his image and in his likeness, and he gives him authority and dominion uh, over the whole earth, which is really, really cool. And so, and he breathes into man's nostrils himself, the very breath of life. He breathes his breath into man, and man becomes a living being, a living soul. In Genesis chapter 2, we really see the assignment of God for man to tend and to keep the garden. Of course, God brings Eve out of Adam. He brings woman out of man. And uh, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And then, and, and, and he gives man a help meet, a helper comparable to him. To, to work alongside of him. And, and in, in that process, God had given Adam the command to not eat from this one particular tree of the garden. He, he, he gave Adam this, this, this dominion and this authority, but he said, hey, there's this tree in the midst of the garden that I don't want you to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that you eat from that tree, you'll surely die. So look, we're not eating of that tree. You can eat from the rest of the trees, but don't eat from that tree. And so when we get to Genesis chapter 3, and you're probably familiar with, with the uh, story here. You don't even have to be Christian to be familiar with this story. <laughs> but um, a serpent comes in the garden, 
um, which is, of course, uh, you know, representative of the devil and, and all that. And so the serpent comes in the garden. The serpent was more cunning than any beast which the Lord God had made. And indeed, uh, excuse me, and he saw the woman. Has God indeed said, this is the serpent talking, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So the serpent's asking Eve the question, um, are, are you sure that God said you should not eat of every tree in the garden? So there's the, there's the first issue right there, that the serpent comes, the enemy comes, and he's questioning the word of God. He's really at the root of this. He's questioning the authority of God. He's questioning the lordship of God in the life of Eve, saying, are you sure that God really said this? And then the woman said to the serpent in verse 2, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And by the way, that wasn't true. The only account that we have, unless God came back later and said something different, the only account that we have, God never said anything about not touching it. It would stand to reason that, you know, if you're not going to eat from it, you might as well not touch it either, because what's the point? You're just going to be, you know, kind of getting closer and closer to that line, digging into temptation and all that. But she she says there, you know, God told us you can't eat from this tree. You can't even touch it. And if you do, you're going to die. God didn't say you can't touch it or you're going to die. But he did say, obviously, do not eat from the tree of this the tree of this fruit, the fruit of this tree. By the way, um, every secular representation of this I've ever heard, they always call it an apple. Never tells us what kind of fruit it was. I don't know what kind of fruit this was, but it doesn't say that it was an apple. Could have been an apple, but anyway. So Eve is kind of having this dialogue with the serpent. And this is where we can get into trouble. It's not that you're never supposed to uh, or, or that you can't ever talk to the devil because I think there's times to do that. I think there's times to, you know, remind him where he's going and, <laughs> you know, remind him of the fact that he's defeated when he's attacking you. You know, you don't have to lay over and die. You know, a lot of times you can really just get away with ignoring him. A lot of times I think the best version of spiritual warfare is just to worship Jesus. Like, we're not supposed to have our, I don't believe anyway, that we're supposed to find our identity in, like, demon stomping, you know, head, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, this, <clears throat> I just got tickled in my throat. This thing of, like, like oh, we, we, we find our value and we find our security and we find our identity in the things that we oppose, you know, we're opposed to the devil and his devices. And, and, and so we're kind of like take on this demon hunter mindset mentality. And I don't believe that we're supposed to live there. I think that's territory that we can occupy for very short and specific periods of time. But I really believe that our identity and our value and our worth is really supposed to be based in Jesus, like period. And to be worshipers of God, to have our minds are so fixed and so focused on him that the devil is really like so far down on our list of priorities of things that we have to deal with. Now, there are times when you might be under intense spiritual attack, and it's not something that we should ignore. And I think so often we come under spiritual attack, and I think that we're so used to just accepting physical problems and challenges and limitations and everything else that we often are ignorant. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, uh, is it chapter 2, verse 11, I think, that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices or schemes. And, and, and I think, you know, the point of what he's saying there is like, like, we're not ignorant to this. Like, we know that he comes and he schemes against us. But the reality is that oftentimes we are ignorant to it. Like, oftentimes we don't, we don't realize it. We don't pay attention to it. And we think that the stuff that we're going through is normal. And there is some normality to having challenges and problems on earth because we live in a fallen world. I get that. And I don't believe in blaming every little issue and every challenge and your car broke down. Oh, it's just the devil. Well, you might have forgot to change your oil for the past 18 months, 18,000 miles, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, it's just like we we don't need to live in that space of constantly being so aware of what the enemy is doing, because if you are aware of what God is doing and your focus is on him, you don't need to spend a whole lot of time dealing with the devil. 
I believe that the that the best in almost every situation, again, not always, so use balance with what I'm saying, but but we can very often accomplish much more through worship than we can through, you know, calling down fire on demons. Uh, because the devil can see you worshiping God. You know, in, in the assault on Jesus's identity in Matthew chapter four and in Luke chapter four, the beginning of both of those chapters, when Jesus was out in the wilderness and the devil came and tempted him and all of that, there were three forms of temptation. And, and it was on the, the last method and every, and every single time Jesus, Jesus spoke the word of God. And, and he stood firm on, on, on the word. He stood for, firm on, yeah, on the word of God. And so the devil would come with an attack and he would say, well, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he's using the, the word to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And in, but in the last temptation, he, he mentions worship. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then it says, immediately the devil left him. And I love that Jesus pulled, I think it's like that trump card of worship. He pulled that card, and as soon as he mentioned worship, the devil left him. And I think that there's something profound about that and something very, very meaningful for us, that when you and I are in the midst of a storm, that when we're in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of some kind of spiritual demonic attack, that when you choose to stand firm in that place of worship, when you choose to give God worship and praise in the midst of that storm that you're going through, the devil can't handle it. And he has to flee from you. But it reminds him of where he's going. It reminds him of his future. It reminds him that he's already a defeated foe. There's a beautiful scripture in, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 28 where Paul says, uh, Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, or in other words, proof of judgment. And it's, it's such a cool thing that when you are not terrified uh, and you're, you know, you're really our adversary is the devil uh, and, you know, the demonic principalities and powers in heavenly places. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, demonic forces, all of that. Right. So the when you stand your ground and you refuse to fall into fear, it is proof to the devil, it is proof to the powers of hell, powers of darkness, that their future is just absolute judgment and perdition, and they have no way of escape. And so it like kicks the crap out of darkness when you worship Jesus. And so I believe uh, in very, very strongly, I believe in being Christ focused, not, you know, devil focused when it comes to spiritual warfare. And when we compare this, this situation between, you know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 that I just mentioned of this temptation that he was on, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels to the temptation of, of Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And I don't want to get into all of the, the details and all the different ways that that lines up. But Jesus and Eve both spoke to the devil. But Jesus spoke to the devil from a place of authority and Eve spoke to the devil from a place of I don't know, curiosity from a place of not being sure. She didn't seem sure, like really right from the beginning of the conversation. She's not really uh, totally convinced, it sounds like. And it's the devil is looking for that, that, that place. He's, he's looking for a, a place of entry in your mind where there's uncertainty, where you're, you know, quote unquote, weak in faith where you're, you know, maybe struggling in your belief or you're struggling with some kind of an issue or challenge or whatever it might be. And he looks for those kind of like weak spots as a way to see if he can get in there and then manipulate in your mind. Now, I don't know for sure if Eve 
was struggling here with something, you know, if she was already thinking about the tree, if she was already whatever, I, I, I don't know. But it seems like from the, you know, her kind of having this dialogue and changing the what God had said and saying, we're not even supposed to touch the tree, kind of adding that stuff in there. It seems like this might have been something that was going on in her mind, but we don't have all that information here. But the serpent in verse 4 says to the woman, hey, you won't surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. I believe that in this situation, Eve was operating from a place of lack and she wasn't actually lacking anything. She was dealing with the perception of lack. It was this perception. The devil's looking again. He's looking for this foothold and he finds a string, some a, a string that's loose and he starts to pull on that string until eventually the thing unravels. And it unravels to the point where, where Eve is kind of faced with this dilemma of, you know what? Maybe God is holding back from us. You know, when the devil, when the devil brings us up there and he's like, Hey, you you won't surely die. God told you not to eat from that tree because he knows that when you do, you're going to be like him. In other words, it's going to be like this thing, uh, you know, and I don't know if this was the, what she got out of it or not, but it's kind of like, Hey, if you're like him, you don't even need him anymore. You know, you're living dependent on God. Maybe if you eat from this tree, it's going to open up something totally new for you where you're not going to have to depend on anybody. You can depend on yourself. And isn't that the temptation of just so many things that you and I face, like face with this temptation, not just to like, you know, look at bad things on the internet or to, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, like so, so much of the temptation that you and I deal with on a daily basis is to exchange our dependence on the spirit of God for an independent lifestyle where it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, I think I can handle this on my own. And so we go off and we choose things. I think that's why it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in that moment, Eve wanted to have this, 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 there was like this desire for knowledge, but knowledge apart from God. God is not opposed to knowledge. I mean, the Bible talks so much about us gaining knowledge and comprehension and wisdom and understanding and, and, and all of this. God is very pro-knowledge. But the point is, the problem is, when we begin, when we try to pursue knowledge, when we try to pursue whatever it is that we're pursuing apart from the presence of God. And I think that that's the trap that Eve fell into in this situation. And it's the trap that you and I have fallen into probably so many times throughout our lives. It's, yeah, God told me this. God said that I can do it this way. But, um, you know, I really think that I, I can do it better by doing it this way. And we choose a different way out. We get impatient with God sometimes. And we begin to try to make decisions and do things on our own. And I think that it comes back to this place where we're operating in those moments. We're operating from a place of lack. We're operating from this, from this, um, I, 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 uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's like this breakdown in, in, in our identity because we're operating from this place that says, I need to be independent of God on this. I, it, it, it was a pervasive problem for the children of Israel all throughout their history. You know, it's the reason they fell into idol worship and all that kind of stuff because it was something that they could control, something that they could conceive of. You know, when, when Moses disappeared up on the mountain for all that time and the people were, 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 were left down at the bottom they decided to build an image, a, a, a golden image, a golden calf, an idol that they could worship. It was so clear and obvious that they built it with their own hands. But it was something that they felt like, well, we can't see God right now. And we don't know where this guy Moses is. So let us build something in our image that we can 
create that we can uh, bow down to and worship. See, we're always worshiping something. We we're always drawn to worship. Every single human being on this planet is a worshiper. We're made to be worshipers. I believe that with all my heart that we are made to be we're we're worshipers and when God is not the center or the object of our worship. Something else is inevitably going to fill that vacuum. And so that's what we see with the children of Israel. But they wanted to uh, direct their worship towards something that they had some uh, control over, something that they could understand. And, And I think that all of it is based in this perception of lack. And so David in Psalm 23 verse 1 he says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want and that word want really means lack it can really be translated lack the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack and while what a simple truth you know maybe one of the most well-known bible verses of all time the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack i will not lack I will not lack because the Lord is my shepherd. So because David was operating from that place of truth and that place of dependency on God, when he comes down to verse four and he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's looking back to the shepherd. He's like, yeah, the reality is there are some really disturbing things going on right now. There's some really terrifying, traumatic things happening to me right now, but I'm going to pass through this valley. I don't have to sit here and succumb. I don't have to sit here and become a victim. I don't have to sit here and go back into bondage and slavery just because of what's going on around me. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Now, lack is not, this verse proves what I'm about to say. Lack is not a physical condition. It is a mentality. And here's why. Because when the Lord is your shepherd, there is no lack. When the Lord is your shepherd, there is no lack. Uh, I, I love the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17 that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And and one of the ways to translate that verse, and I, and, and, uh, I believe it, the Passion Translation does a really good job of uh, bringing out this meaning in that verse. But one of the ways to look at that is, okay, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we sing worship songs, spirit of God, come, give us liberty, you know. But here's the thing, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, the spirit of the Lord what is who, what what is what does it mean for God to be Lord? What does it mean for God to be Lord? It means that He has lordship. It means that He has authority. It means that you have surrendered your life over to Him willingly, because He's a loving God. Right? That you've surrendered your life over to Him, and 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 said, "Take my life, I'm yours." That's what it means to call Him Lord. You know, like when we say things like, no, Lord, like that's kind of uh, (laughs) oxymoronic, you know, because we're saying no to the one that we're also pledging allegiance to. It's kind of like, all right, well, that's tough to do, but we do it all the time. But anyway, so where the spirit of the Lord is, in other words, where the where the 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 spirit of God is has lordship in your life, there's liberty. Because you and I all do this thing where we come to God, we give our lives to Jesus, we accept his free gift of salvation and eternal life, and we surrender our lives to him, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, right? So we confess with our mouth that he's Lord. We, we recognize his lordship, and we give our lives to him. And yet we're so imperfect and we have so many rough edges and areas of our lives that we need God to work with that we're not really um, treating him very often. Like there's times in our lives where we're not always treating him like he's Lord. Because we might say, well, I'm giving my life to you, right? But then we've got all these little parts and sections and areas of our life 
that we keep hidden, that we hold back from him. And a lot of times we do it without even realizing it. And a lot of times we're holding things back from God that we don't even know that we're holding back from God because we're not conscious of it. It's just something that we've kept walled off and and guarded. Maybe it's an area of pain within us. Maybe it's an area that we're, we're just, we don't know how to trust God with it because it's, it's a point of fear or because it's something that we hold so dear, so near and dear to our hearts, something that we love so much that we're, we're kind of reluctant or, or, or somehow afraid to turn ownership of it over to the Lord, to, to, to bring it under the jurisdiction of the Lordship of Jesus. And God's patient with us, but the reality is, is that in those areas that we are, that especially when we're consciously avoiding turning these areas over to him, that we're not truly experiencing the fullness of his freedom in that area where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we invite the spirit of the Lord into every area of our life, then in those areas of our life, we're going to experience freedom and liberty. But I can very much allow God access to one part of my life, but keep him at a distance in another part of my life. I, I, I have an example of this um, in my own life. There, there was a season, this was years ago when I was living on the mission field in Mexico. And uh, I was married. Um, we were a few years into our marriage and we had, a, uh, we had one son, our, our firstborn, Elijah. And he was very young. He was probably like, a month or two old at the time. So obviously my whole life had changed becoming a new dad. And my my mind had, had so shifted in, in that season of life of, of being a protector, a protector for my family, a protector of my wife and protector of my, my child. And what I was failing to recognize is that even though I believe that as husbands and fathers that God calls us, and as mothers as well, that, that, that God calls us to uh, be uh, protectors in our family. I believe that there's that there's a real aspect of that. That you know, well, I'm just going to speak for 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 men. You know, men that you you are called to defend and protect and uh and, and what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, anyway, defend and protect your family. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that beyond me, God is the ultimate protector and provider of my family. You know, this, this idea that, you know, the man is the provider for his family is like, well, okay, depending on how we're talking about that, there's an extent of that that, that, that could be true. But really, men, you are not the source of your family. And that's where we get into a problem is when we start looking at ourselves as the source and we start looking at ourselves as the ultimate thing that our family needs to survive. And in this season of my life, unbeknownst to me, I had moved into that role of protector, which again is good, but I had moved into it in an unhealthy way where I was actually operating from a place of fear. And from a place of, if, if you could just kind of, you know, imagine the, the imagery of this, like me having my, my wife and my newborn son kind of just holding them so tightly in my hands because I need to be the one that keeps them safe and I need to be the one that provides for them. And this one day I was in our, um, our little uh, two-bedroom apartment Again, we were on the mission field in Mexico, and uh, I don't remember what I was doing at the time, but it was one of the most kind of like intense encounters I've ever had with God, because God confronted me, and it, I don't really know how to explain it other than if for for any uh, for any you know dads out there, or, or maybe you've seen this on TV, where it's like the kind of thing where you know a father will will kind of like. Uh, grab the the collar of his son and kind of like pull him aside or maybe even like kind of push him up against the wall and, and kind of have a real stern talking. I'm not talking about abuse. 
I'm talking about like a, a stern talking to where it's like, hey, I need to make you aware of something. What you just did is not okay. <laughs> what you're doing is not okay. And God, I felt like God did that to me in a very loving, but in a very stern way. And he made it very abundantly clear to me that I was trying to take his place in in the family that he had blessed me with. And that I had unintentionally probably, but I had moved into that role of I'm their source and I'm their provider and I'm their protector. And God showed it to me for what it was. And he said, I want this area of your heart. And for some reason, at that point in my life, in that moment of my life, for some reason, that felt very unsafe to me. And to me, it felt safer for me to be the one in that position than to give that over to God. As if I would, you know, relinquish my authority to the, you know, to the, to the Lordship of Jesus and then he would ever do anything to, to hurt or to harm, you know, my, my family or, or, or whatever. But there was this idea in my mind that they were safer in my hands than in God's hands. What was that? I was operating from a place of lack. I was operating from a place of fear. Really, I was operating from a perception of lack. I was perceiving that if I was not in that place of protector, then they weren't going to be safe. And it was putting weight on me and on my abilities that I was never called to do. And God wasn't asking me for it that day because he was being cruel. He was asking me for it because his way is better. (laughs) And so, and because he wanted me to be free. He was actually doing it for me, not to get something from me. He was doing it for me because he wanted me to be free. And we can always tell if we're operating from a perception of lack when God asks us for something and we're afraid to give it to him because we don't expect him to give us something that's better in return. Because God always wants to upgrade you. He always wants to take the thing that you're dealing with, you're struggling with. And oftentimes it's, it's connected to something that's really, really good and positive in your life. And if God is asking you for that thing, if you feel like God is asking you to give up something or to let something go, then it's only because what he has for you to replace that thing is so much better. Like it's so much better. And oftentimes we're, we're holding on to, 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 to something that's small, but in our perception, it's everything to us. But it's because God's like, hey, I want you to learn how to trust me with this so that I can give you more. Because it's in that place of demonstrating trust that our faith really grows. See, that's the way this works. We want it to work the other way around, but it just doesn't work like that in the kingdom. It just doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like, well, I'm going to, like, like God's like, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to give you more and then you'll have to grow into it. It's like, it's like, no, God's given us the measure of faith that we have. God's given us the measure of favor. He's given us the measure of whatever it is, finances, uh, influence, whatever it might be. And it's like, if we don't know how to give that thing back to him, and I don't mean giving it up, I mean using it, sowing it for his glory in obedience, however he's called you to do it. But if, if we're not stewarding well, that's probably the best way that I can say it. If we're not stewarding well the things that God has placed in our hands, it's like we don't qualify for the next level. We don't. And it's not that God's being cruel. Well, you got to show me what you're, what you're capable of before I'm going to give you more. That's not what it is at all. That's a lack mentality. That's a lack mindset. That's what Eve was dealing with, I think, in the garden. It was like, oh, well, maybe God's holding back from us. God's not holding back from you. God does not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. God is not withholding blessing from you. I promise you he's not. For, for God is never withholding blessing from you. But he doesn't want to put something on you that's going to crush you. Because if you're having a hard time stewarding well the measure that you have now, 
adding more onto it is not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. And often we're operating from this mindset of lack because it's like, oh, well, God's not giving me that because he doesn't want me to have it. And so maybe I should go out and I should do it my way. I should get it a different way. God's taking too long. Maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe I can't trust God as much as I thought that I could. That's a operation from a place of lack. And it's the opposite of the way the kingdom works. God calls us to lay down our lives. He calls us to trust him, to obey him, to follow him. And it doesn't always seem easy, but it is so. I I love what Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says. um, That, uh, uh, let's see, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or what some translations say, your reasonable act of worship. It's our our reasonable response. It's reasonable for us to respond to God by giving him everything. It's reasonable for us to God, but it's reasonable for us to respond to God by giving our lives over to him as living sacrifices. You know, a sacrifice would normally be something that would have to be killed. But because Jesus became our ultimate, you know, he became the final sacrifice for us. We're living sacrifices unto God. And it's give yourself to him. It's, it's, it's not this thing where God is like requiring, uh, where, where God is forcing your hand on something. It's like, no, look, this is reasonable for you. When you recognize how good he is, how faithful he is, how much he's done for you, how he laid it all down for you because of love. There's nothing more reasonable on planet earth than to respond to what God has done for every single one of us by giving him absolutely everything. But I, 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 I believe that God is so kind that he also recognizes that there's a process that we go through of turning over this area of our lives and this area of our lives. You know, we make that big decision to give our lives to Jesus. But then after that, there's, there's many, many, decisions to trust him with this and to trust him with this area of our life and to trust him with that area of our life and it's part of this growth process and it's really a beautiful thing it's really a beautiful thing because because it's like the process of falling more in love with him and the process of learning to trust him but when we approach that from an orphan mindset when we approach that from this mindset of lack it's really hard to see. It's 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 like uh, when we're approaching God and, and we're approaching His call to us to follow Him. When we're approaching Him from a from a mindset of lack, it's like we 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 wonder, oh man, can I really trust you, God? And again, I think he's so kind and he's so patient and he's so faithful with us, even when we're struggling in those areas. But I wanted to encourage you in this week's episode to, to, to have courage, like to be courageous in those areas of your life, in those areas where you feel like you're struggling. You know, sometimes it's even uh, just in a very, very simple sense. Sometimes it's finances. Sometimes it's like, you know, knowing that God is, you know, calling you or asking you to give an offering, to give something away, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's whatever it might be, but to give something away. And there's this thing that happens in us that if we're afraid of what we're going to lose, you know, we hold on to things sometimes. We can hold things back. We can withhold blessing from others. We can hold back things from God. We can hold back different things because we can feel like, oh man, if I give this away, then it's going to be gone and I'm not going to have it. You know, have you ever heard, uh, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too? I always wondered why. Like, well, like that makes no sense. Why would I want a cake and not be able to eat it? 
But then one day I realized, and I don't know if this is what it really means or not, but it, but it kind of made sense in my mind. It's like, oh, I can't have it and eat it. If I, if, if I eat it, that means I can't have it anymore because it's, I would have eaten it and it's gone now. So it's like, I have to decide, I want to either have the cake or I want to eat the cake. If I eat the cake, I no longer have the cake because I ate it and it's gone. And, and I feel like there's this kind of similar tension like that in the kingdom of God. It's like we're holding on to things and for fear that if we use it, that if we spend it, that it's going to be a net negative for us, then we're going to hold on to it. We're going to hoard it. We're going to say, no, I'm going to make my own way with this. But if we recognize that if God is calling us to spend something, to use something, to sow something that he's placed into our hands, to steward it well, that he's always going to bring back more. But it's living in that dependence on God. And, and that was the desire of God from the beginning. It was living in that, that, that tandem relationship of, yes, I've called you here. I've given you an assignment. And I'm always going to provide for you. I'm always going to provide for you as you walk out the assignment that I've given to you. But then when we get to that place of, of well... I don't know if I can rely on God for this, or I don't know if I can trust God for this. So let me try to kind of make my own way and make this happen on my own. It's a mindset of lack. Because it says, I can do this better. And at the end of the day, maybe I can't fully trust God. Maybe God is holding something back from me. Um, And so, my friends, I just wanted to encourage you again this week um, to... You know what? We, we always have, in Christ, we always have the opportunity, the open invitation from God to exchange things that are holding us down, that are holding us back, that are, that are weighing down on us, to exchange them, to, to give them to Jesus. He says, um, Take my yoke upon you. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He invites us to come to him when we labor and we're heavy laden so that he can give us rest. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such, a, it's such an incredible exchange that takes place between us and God where he invites us into that place of rest. But here's the thing is like, You can't enter that place of rest holding on to all the stuff that's that's keeping you up, you know? Like all, all the stuff that's keeping you worried and keeping you anxious and keeping you spinning your wheels, keeping you, you know, running circles. I'm talking about worry, anxiety, you know, these, these things that weigh down on our mind anxiety and and worry, I I really think that, you know, worry comes down to this, it's like this exercise of our mind to try to stay ahead of something that we're worried about, you know, or that we're worried about, trying to stay ahead of something that we're fearful of, something that, you know, maybe this is going to happen, maybe something bad is going to happen, what if this, what if that, and so the worry thing is like the, the exercise of our mind trying to exercise control over something that's really out of control. And the reason why it's often, it can be hard to give that up and surrender that to God is because one of the things I think that we value most in our, in our humanity, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, one of the things that I think we value the most is control. I mean... Not to open a can of worms, worms, but I feel like the control thing, it's why a lot of people get into drugs. A lot of people get into drinking. A lot of people get into all kinds of stuff. Uh, cutting themselves, hurting themselves. Codependent relationships. You know, abusive relationships or, you know, whatever it might be that like these, these kind of messed up behavior that we do, that we seek, it's so often a method of trying to establish some form of normality or some form of control, something that we can kind of like lean on, a crutch that we can lean on that says, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to deal with the, the stress that I'm facing in my mind or I don't know how to deal with whatever the problem or challenge it is that we're dealing with in our mind, 
but this is something I can control. I might not be able to deal with the intense loneliness that I'm feeling, but I can control this. I can take this substance or I can, um, you know, look at these pornographic images or I can, you know, do any one of a million forms of escapism in order to shelter ourselves to experience some kind of temporal relief. I think it's a method of control. And there's something about that that is so, like, in a twisted way, satisfying to our ego, to our soul, to our to our uh, the areas of our life that are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Because any time we can we can gain some kind of a semblance of control in the midst of things that we don't know how to deal with, then I think that we can put ourselves, we can kind of lull ourselves into a false sense of security. And there's something about that that can just be so like twistedly attractive sometimes. And it's actually like dying to self. It's, it's, it takes surrender to be able to turn those things over to Jesus. Say, God, I'm going to turn over to you my need or my desire to be in control. I'm going to let you have it because as long as I'm hanging on to this thing and I'm having to maintain this control in my life, I'm spinning my wheels, I'm running in circles, and I'm not going to be able to rest. And so in order for me to enter into the rest of God or in order for me to be able to experience God's rest, I've got to be willing to turn over to him the things that are keeping me up that are keeping me fighting in my own strength. And the rest of God, the thing that God gives you in exchange for the burden and the weight that you're carrying is so much better. It's so much, what God has for you in exchange for that thing that you're carrying is so much better. Even when the the, the weight that you're carrying is connected to something beautiful and something that you love, if you need to lay it down because it's just something that's causing you to not be able to trust God, like if it's something you need to lay down, like, like if you have something really, really good in your life and, and, it's, and it's good and it's positive and you love it, but you're, you're coming at it like I was in that story that I told you with, with me and my, my wife and my son where it's like you've taken that thing on in a way that is unhealthy for you. God wants you to lay that down. God wants you to be willing to hand that over to him so that he can, in exchange, give you his rest. Like, God wasn't trying to take my wife and kid away from me. God was just wanting me to relinquish my humanistic ability, uh, need to be in control. Because he's like, son, the way you're approaching this, the way that you're approaching this gift that I've given to you, the way that you are approaching this blessing in your life is ultimately going to crush you. So he says, give it to me so that I can give you rest. And uh, if there's anything as you're listening to this that, that maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing up into your mind, I just encourage you to to take that thing and to bring it to him because the rest that he wants to give to you is so worth it. And it is so much better than that thing. You know what? Let me, let me kind of finish that story because what I did was I, I ended up spending several days just like distancing myself from God. And, and I mean, it, it's funny that the, the, the way that we do that because I was working in the church. I was working in the house of prayer Every day I was spending hours of day in worship. I was worshiping God. I was singing songs. I was leading worship. I was, you know, spending time preparing uh, Bible studies and things of that nature. It was like I was doing these things, these very spiritual activities and worshiping God. But I knew that there was something in me that now I was aware of something and I was intentionally holding it back from God. And there was this thing inside of me that was like very uncomfortable. Because even as I'm worshiping God, 
I'm keeping him at a distance. I'm only letting him get so close or I'm only allowing myself to get so close to him. And it took me, I think, five or six days um, to to recognize. And God was so kind to me in that season because he brought me to to a, a place in the Bible. It was Second um, Samuel, I think, chapter 6 and 7. And it's this really cool story about, about David and... Um, is it Second Samuel? I think it's Second Samuel. Uh, this this really cool story with, with with David bringing the Ark of the Covenant, recovering the Ark and bringing it back into Jerusalem, and it's this really kind of bizarre story, uh, but it has a beautiful ending. And anyway, God used that story to illustrate to me kind of the mindset that I was facing, and He was so kind to me. And after I had held back from God for days. Um, he brought me to this place of understanding. And, and I finally came face to face with the reality of, of what I was holding back and why I was holding it back and, and why I was so fearful. And I got to the point in my mind where I, I, I said to the Lord, I want more of you. And I want what you have for me, no matter the cost. And so I'm willing to lay down even the things that are most precious to me that I may gain more of you. And it was such a beautiful experience in my life that was there. It was like bitter for that week, but God turned those bitter waters sweet and it, and it brought me into like a, a whole new just realm of, of intimacy with the Lord. And I just think God wants to do that kind of stuff in our lives all the time. He wants us to be willing to exchange the things that are holding us back and exchange the things that you know, maybe we don't want to relinquish or we don't want to let go of because they cause us pain. But man, if you'll let the Spirit of God in and have access to those areas of your life, it's not because He wants to hurt you. It's not because he wants to control or manipulate you. It's because he wants to give you freedom. He wants you to walk in and experience fullness of freedom on every level in every single area of your life. And so um, let's, uh, let, let's, let's focus on exchanging that mindset of lack for a mindset and a lifestyle of abundance. Because God always operates from a place of abundance. You know, it's it's never this thing of, oh, well, I can't do that because uh, I don't have enough resource for that. I, I don't have what it takes. God wants you to have so much faith in his abilities and in, in his strength flowing through you that you're able to exchange that lack mentality for his mindset of abundance where he thinks he perceives from heaven to earth. And he wants you to walk in that same level of life and that same level of authority. So I just want to thank you guys for joining me for this discussion. Uh, I pray that it was coherent enough for you to have gotten something good out of it. <laughs> uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, I would love to hear from you. Reach out to me on one of the social media platforms. You can email me at uh, duke at simplepowermedia.com. You can also visit my website, simplepowermedia.com. And uh, you can find there on, on the website, I don't mention this a whole lot, but there's all kinds of like resources there, past videos, recordings, uh, there's books on, on the website that I've written. Uh, there's a book that my wife wrote on worship, which is really awesome as well. I've got a couple of online courses there. Hey, I wanted to mention this. I have this online course uh, on learning how to hear the voice of God more clearly and more consistently. And God really led me through this process, this labor of love. It took a lot of work. And that that uh, I sell it. Typically, I, I, the that course is available for sale. But I was just like feeling really generous um, uh, the last week, I think it was. And, and uh, I don't think I, I, I think I forgot to mention it on the last podcast that I did. Anyway, I wanted to let you know that if you are interested in taking that course, if you want to go deeper in uh, just understanding the simplicity really of hearing God's voice, 
learning how to access his voice, to hear his voice daily in your daily life, to be led by the Spirit of God. Um, I, I would love to make that course available to you. It's available on my website. I think it's like $99 or $79. I forget what it is. But uh, I would love to give you that course for free. Um, so no, no strings attached. You don't have to do anything. If, if you are interested in taking that course, and it's a full-length course. I mean, it's like it could take you, you know, weeks to go through it. Uh, I put a lot of material into it, a lot of content. But, and it's a video course. You know, it's, it's very simple to go through. Some exercises here and there that you can do that will help you to kind of exercise and practice hearing God's voice. And uh, anyway, I would love to give that course to you for free. So if you're interested in uh, getting that course, don't go through the website because the website's going to charge you. But uh, just contact me, email me, duke at simplepowermedia.com. Uh, just reach out to me one way or another and let me know that you would uh, like to take that course. And I'll open it up for you and I'll send you the link um, so that you can get it for free. All right. Just my gift to you. No strings attached. I don't ask you anything in return. Um, I would just like to bless you with that if that's an area of your life that you would like to grow in. Because, um, I, I, you know, so much of our walk with the Lord, it just comes down to, like, the simplicity of what we learned in Sunday school. For those of you who grew up in church, trust and obey. Trust and obey. And sometimes the reason why we struggle in our obedience is because we're not sure that we heard God. And... Uh, I, you know, I, I just, uh, everything shifts in your life when you begin to become confident that you hear God speak. And so I would love to share that course with you. So just reach out to me through social media or by email and let me know. And, uh, I'll, uh, send you the information so that you can get on and, and access that course for, uh, free. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys so much for joining me uh, for this episode. You are the best. And I, I really do mean that. It means the world to me that you're here. Uh, tell a friend or tell somebody about this video if you think it could impact them uh, in some way. And then don't forget to subscribe or leave a comment or a review on the Facebook page or on one of the podcast platforms. Bless you guys. And I will see you next time.